Jesus does say to know that there is a way to heaven. And better than that, there's a way that you can know that you're going to heaven. And that's what we've been talking about. Last week we went off that subject a little bit for Father's Day. And next week with it being 4th of July, or close to 4th of July, we may go off the subject next week too. But I hope this series of messages has been a help to you. I really do. And... There's there's some passages in the Bible that I'm just going to admit uh, they're not always the easiest. All right? I, I wish I could tell you that uh, every time I read something, boy, I just get it like that. You know, man, there's some things I'm still working on, <laughs> and uh, some things we, I, we we're probably not going to completely get it until we're in heaven. But um, there, this the passage that we're going to be reading today. Uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be in First John chapter three, and there's some verses in in here. But listen, I don't believe we ought to be scared of any verses, but a lot of people are kind of scared of these verses because 
Uh, when you read them, it's, it sounds pretty extreme. It's like, whoa, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. But uh, if a lot of times you'll hear preachers say, well, you know, that should have been translated, blah, blah, blah. Alright? If you ever hear me say that, you know, please fire me or, you know, get, get rid of me. Well, I'm not going to do that. But a lot of times, though, you got to look at, uh, you do have to look at the context. And really, I believe that you can take this Bible and you can read it as it is. And, you know, sometimes you might have to look in the context and do some studying and, and even praying. But, uh, the Lord will show you, uh, He'll, He'll reveal it to you. And we're gonna we're gonna get into some uh, we're gonna uh, read some verses that uh, we're gonna read verse one through ten. And listen, don't go running out of here before I finish this message, okay? Because when you hear a couple of these verses, it might scare you a little bit, and you're gonna think, all right, not only am I not saved, I'll never be able to get saved. I haven't got a chance. But I, I challenge you to bear with me through this message. And I, I'm gonna I, I do this sometimes when I do when I do messages and. I probably shouldn't because it doesn't always work, but a lot of times I will try to confuse people a little bit and then, you know, get, get them wondering and then, you know, later you kind of reveal it all and then it all makes sense. But, uh, the only problem with that, I'm real good at confusing people, but then uh, I don't always do a good job of enlightening them after that. And so, hopefully I won't, hopefully I won't do that to you today. But we'll start reading in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we uh, we know that when we He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as he is pure." Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. That's kind of scary. Verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I ask that You will just fill me with Your Spirit today, Lord, as I preach this message. And God, I pray that You uh, that I'll be able to get the message across, Lord, that You want and that as as You intended it, Lord. And I just pray that it will uh, be a help to all of us, Lord, and any who are searching, Lord, and uh, seeking for that assurance of their salvation. I pray You will help them with us. In Your name, we pray. Amen. Oh, you know some scary verses there. He that committeth sin is of the devil. So. Uh, it also says, uh, "Whosoever abideth him in him sinneth not." Now, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question here. This is where I'm going to try to confuse you a little bit. How many have sinned this week? All right. Okay. 
So, are you not saved? Are you on your way to hell? I mean, we just we read that passage. That's what it sounds like. He that sinneth is of the devil. That's pretty scary. Now listen, there are some churches out there, not this one, there are some churches out there that do preach in sinless perfection that you can do that. Alright? Uh, maybe maybe we need to go over there. But the only problem is I don't I'm I'm pretty sure I can't go one day without sinning. So what's this talking about here? What is this? Are we all doomed? Are we all children of the devil? Well, let's go ahead. We're going to go back to verse 1. Anytime you come listen, I challenge you, whenever you come across a verse in the Bible that really just kind of puzzles you and gets you scratching your head, don't get discouraged and don't say, you know what? Forget it. You know what you just do? You got to keep going. You just keep going, keep studying, and maybe just move on to something else. And then the Lord eventually, if you have the right attitude, listen, we I believe that this Bible is one hundred percent true. It's all it's all here. It's all accurate. But you know what? I believe that by faith. I believe by faith that this word of God is completely true. And whenever I come across something and I'm like, that can't be right, I what I have to do is I have to accept by faith that it is right. And if you do that, God, I believe, will eventually He'll He'll reveal it to you. He'll help you understand it. He'll show it to you. But most people they 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 get frustrated and they quit. And listen, don't move on. Keep go on to something else. Keep studying it. And God may show you something later that's going to take you back to this passage. You're going to say, "Okay, I, I get it now." Sometimes and and sometimes you don't even have to do that. Sometimes if you come across a verse. There's a lot of people out there that like to quote certain verses that they've got like one or two verses that they use all the time. They'll build a whole religion around one or two verses. And it's like, did you not read the verses before that? For example, I know an individual, he's a Christian scientist. And not a scientist like scientist, but it's a religion. And Christian scientists, they do not believe in pain. They or they don't they don't believe in sickness that it's all an illusion it's all your imagination and I I I used to want to punch him in the nose and when he started you know screaming in pain it's like you're not right with God man they think if you if you have pain if you're sick that it's a spiritual problem that you have because when God created the world He saw that it was good therefore there can't be sickness sickness is a lie He He told me that. I was like, well, yeah, but you know what? That was in Genesis one. You just need to read Genesis. Go, you get up to Genesis chapter three. You'll see that sin comes to the world, and there's the Bible's full of sickness and and things. But you know, they're stuck in Genesis one, and so you got to you got to read the whole Bible. But before we go and we talk about some of these verses, where I've been maybe confusing you a little bit, we're going to go back to verse one of chapter three. And it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. One thing you need to realize is that if you are saved today that you are in God's family. You're in God's family. You are a member of the family of God. What an amazing thing that is to be in God's family. What manner of love. The Father bestowed. Last Sunday night, my family uh, with the kids, we sang the song, I'm Adopted. 
I'm adopted. The Bible says that we've received the spirit of adoption. We're not natural born Christians based on our our race or based on our family and where we come from. We are Christians because we receive the spirit of adoption. Adoption's a wonderful thing. I think it's wonderful when parents they go and they maybe they'll take a child that is not theirs. And they take that child, a lot of times, many of them, they'll have disabilities and things. Maybe kids that nobody else wants. And they'll take that child and they will raise them as their very own. And they will call them by their name. They'll change their last name to their name. And they will love them just as if it was their very own child. What a wonderful thing adoption is. And that's what God does to us. We were, we're unlovable. We don't deserve that love. I mean, we're... In the eyes, I mean, in the eyes of God, we should be, we are vile, but He still loves us and He saves us and He makes us a part of His family and we receive that spirit of adoption, as it says in Romans chapter eight, verse fourteen through eighteen. We're not going to time go through it, but it says we receive the spirit of adoption. We're joint heirs with Christ. I mean, we we get equal inheritance with Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing that that is. And you know the wonderful thing about it too, once you're in the family, you can't get out. I believe it's still like this, but in, in the Jewish customs, when you were adopted, you could not be disinherited. You could disinherit your biological child. You could make them as if they were no longer your child and when you died, they wouldn't receive any of your inheritance. It would be as though they were not your son. But you could not do that to one that you adopted. And we receive that spirit of adoption. We're in the family of God. And if you are in the family of God today, you can't get out. You're there. What a wonderful thing that is. I'm okay with that. I don't know anybody that would want to get out of the family of God that's really there. But that's an exciting thing. Verse 2, we see, Beloved, now now are we the sons of God. We are the sons of God now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. This is something I think it's important to remember too, that our salvation is secured, but it's not complete. It's secured, but it's not complete. We're not like Christ yet. We are not completely without sin yet. It's going to happen when you got when you got said that day that you gave your heart to Christ when you called on God for salvation he saved your soul you I mean you're secured you're on your way to heaven I mean I mean you're you're as good as there you're not there yet but listen if God says or the Bible says that something is going to happen I mean it is as sure as if it has already happened so if when you called on Christ, even though your salvation isn't complete yet, because we are not in our new glorified bodies, we are not in heaven yet, your salvation is so secure, it is as if you were already in heaven and if you were already like Christ. It's just a matter of time. It is going to happen. You can mark it down just as sure as the sun is going to set tonight and it's going to rise again tomorrow. If you've called on Christ and asked for salvation someday, Someday you are going to be in heaven. Someday you're going to be like Him. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wonder if it's not going to happen. In fact, it's more sure than the sun setting tonight and rising again tomorrow. The Bible says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but My words shall not pass away. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. A lot of times people they have doubts about salvation because of people. 
They look at people and they think, you know, can they really be saved? Now, they're not saved. Listen, if they've accepted Christ as their Savior, if they've called on Him for salvation, they're secure, they're saved. It's just, it's not complete yet. We're a work in progress. There's a song that we sang. We probably probably should have sang it today. It would have went along with this point at least. It's called, He's Still Working On Me. Took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient He must be because He's still working on me. God's working on He's working on me right now. He's, he's work, if you're saying that He's working on you. And we're a work in progress. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be getting better. It's, it's, supposed, it's, it, it's sometimes a slow process. But it is something that should be happening in all our lives. Your salvation, it's secure, but it's not completed. It hath not yet appeared what we shall be. Right now, you know, we look at I look at myself, I look at all of you, and it's like, boy, why did why did he bother saving any of us? <laughs> but you know what? He knows what we're going to be someday. We haven't seen that yet. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we behold, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We don't know for sure what that's like, but He does. And that's why He looks at us and He says, you're worth it. And that's why He loves us. But then the third thing, on verse 3, it says, "...and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure." Listen, we try to be Christ-like not to get saved or stay saved, but because we are saved. A person who is saved, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. You know, we, the, the things that we preach about here in the church and the things that we do as Christians, a lot of times people look at and they think, I, you know, they're just doing all those things so they can think they're better than everybody else. They're just doing all those things because they think that's what they have to do to earn heaven. I'm here today to tell you that that's not what it is. But what it is is we have a hope in us that someday that we're going to be like Him. And we, because we have that hope, there's just this desire to purify ourselves and to be like Him. And you know what? It's something that we constantly have to work on. You're never going to reach a time on this earth where you are perfect. It's not going to happen on earth. But it's something that we ought to be working on. We ought to be trying to be better. We ought to be, uh, we ought to be closer to God than we were when we first got saved. We ought to be closer to God than we were last month. We ought to be constantly progressing and doing better. And a person who is saved, who anyone, the Bible says, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. We have that desire to be like him. We know it's only a matter of time. And it's going to happen. You know, I, it's an, that's an amazing thing. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that someday... I'm going to be like Christ. It's hard to believe that. Because right now, I said, I'm still a sinner. But I have that hope. And so it motivates me to want to do more and to know that I can be more like Him. And I don't have to be, I don't have to live a life in the bondage of sin. I can be, I can be more like Christ every day. Being like Christ is something that's not going to be complete until we see Him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. I love this passage of Scripture. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Someday we're going to be changed. Someday we're going to be like Him. And in the meantime, there in that last verse, we see we need to be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And listen, the things that you do in the name of Christ, the works, the good works that you do, while good works don't save you, those works that you do, they are not in vain. They're not for nothing. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I hope you, I hope you work at being a good Christian. I hope you uh, work at being more like Christ, but I hope you don't do it so He will save you. I hope you're doing it because you are saved. Because our works will not save us. It can't, they can't. But if you're, if you're saved today, that salvation, it's not complete. Someday we're going to be like Christ. A person who's saved, they're going to have a desire to be like Christ and they're going to experience victory. We see, we see a lot of those verses we read talk about victory. It's amazing how many people today are saying that they're saved, but they just can't seem to get any victory in any area of their life. Now listen, we're all going to have failures. But well, you're going to have some victories too. Especially when it comes to righteousness. The Bible says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If it's something that you really want, you might not get it right when you want it, but you eventually will get it. God is going to give you victory. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We ought to be victorious people. And God will help, God will help you be victorious, but many people are trying to get victory without Jesus Christ in their life. But some people, they believe that God can save their soul from hell but God can't save them from a life of sin. You know, it's amazing how many people, you know, they talk about, I'm so thankful the Lord saved me, and, you know, but I know I'm on my way to heaven, but they're just living wicked lives. They're constantly in, in trouble with, maybe they're all, they're in trouble with the law, or they're in trouble with, whatever, I mean, they're just, their lives are just a mess, and they can't seem to get any victory. But I'm still going to heaven because I'm saved. Well, listen, my Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, I don't know if we have time to go through all, but it says, "And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins." That word "quickened" it means like brought to life. Who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past we all walked according to the course of this world. You know, before we were saved, we were all there. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. That's why we couldn't get victory. That's why we kept doing things wrong. That's why we just naturally went the wrong way. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God, when He saved us, He raised us up from that and He gave us victory. And He saved us not by our works. It says there in verse 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. It says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, "For We are His workmanship created unto good works. 
unto good works. That he said, when God saved you, He didn't just save you just so you could go to heaven and just to get you out of hell. It was because He wanted to change you here on this earth. Or verse four of First John chapter three: Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So what's this verse talking about? Well, if you look at the verse before, it says, "...every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure." Now, I think all of us would agree that that purifying ourselves that is not just a one-time thing that we do. It's something that it's a, God's talking here about a continual thing. A lifestyle. A part of our, our lifestyle is going to be one of purifying ourselves. Okay, Which means we're going to have some things that need to be pure, uh, purified. Which means we're, it implies that there's still going to be some sin that we're dealing with and sin that we're working on and that's getting us. But we're, we're constantly working on this thing. That is the lifestyle of a Christian, one who is still a sinner, but like we like the song says, we're just a sinner saved by grace, and we're a work in progress. We're purifying ourselves, and then the very next verse, when it talks about whosoever committed sin, this is not just talking about okay, you know, brother Renee, you know, he got he lost his temper, he sinned, he's not saved. Okay, it's not talking about that. All right, or you know. Lonnie had a bad thought go through his mind. He's lost. He's not saved. That's not what it's talking about. This is once this here is also talking about a lifestyle. If your lifestyle is a lifestyle of sin and a lifestyle of wickedness, then the truth is that you're not saved. That's what it's talking about. It says, "He that committeth sin, and whosoever by them sinneth not." That is not going to be the lifestyle. Of a say of a saved person, and I, I believe that's what that passage means. We see throughout the Bible where Christians we're going to slip up every now and then, but it should not be a lifestyle thing. It shouldn't be something that we continually do. And many people they try to use the forgiveness of God as a as an excuse so they can continue on in their sin. When God saved you, He wanted you to get some sin out of your life. He wanted you to sin less than you were before. Not more than you were before. Some people, it's like after they make those professions, they get worse than they ever were. Because now they think they don't have to feel guilty for the sins that they were doing. Listen, if you're saved, if you really do have that hope that you're going to be like Christ someday, you're going to purify yourself. You're going to live a life where you're attempting to do better and attempting to do right. The purpose of salvation is not just to get us to heaven and out of hell. It's to change you here on earth. God wants us to have a victorious, abundant life. John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He wants us to have an abundant, fulfilled life. That's why one of the reasons he came. He wanted us. He wanted to save you, and he wanted you to be able to get victory over the sin in your life. He wanted you to have liberty in Christ. He wanted you not to be entangled in that yoke of bondage. Once again, we're not saved by works, but unto good works. When he saved us, he wanted us to start doing some good works. But thank God. 
Thank God that He didn't say, do the good works and then I'll save you. Because our works are not good enough to get us to heaven. They couldn't be. There's no way that we can do that. Our works, our righteousness is like a filthy rag in the eyes of God. But thank God that He saved us unto good works. So after we get saved, He saves us by grace through faith. He saves us not by our works, but He saves us so now we can do some good works. Now now we can have some victory. Now we can do some good things. Not good enough to get us to heaven, but we can at least do some good things. We can do some things for Him. We can give something back to Him. I mean, people they look at they look at God and think, you know, well, how you know that's just terrible that He would expect something from you. Well, He did die on the cross for us. He did save our souls from hell. He did prepare a place called heaven for us. If He wants to ask a few things of us, I don't think He's stepping out of line to do that. He is, by the way, the Creator of the universe. He is the one that created the oxygen we breathe and this planet that we live on and everything we have is His. I don't think He's asking too much to ask us for some good works. He's not saying, I'm going to take away your salvation if you don't do them. He's not saying you have to do these to get saved. But since we are saved, we ought to do them. And you know what? We should be fine with that. We should be absolutely fine with that. Listen, if somebody came along and they saved your life, right? If they saved your life, maybe from a burning house, and they run in there, risk their own life, and they save your life. And let's say they even get burned up pretty good in the process. And they come and you know, maybe their face is all scarred up from the flames from that time they went and saved your life. If that person came to you and said, hey, can I borrow $20? Would you tell them no? Absolutely not. What else can I do for the guy that saved my life? For the guy who, I mean, who put himself through extreme pain to save a perfect stranger? I don't, you would have no problem doing that. You'd be trying to find things to do for him. And God saved us, and we ought to, He shouldn't have to come at us with these things. We ought to be going to Him saying, Lord, what can I do? And the truth is, if we look in the Bible, we could find out real quick what to do. Most people don't want to know. But listen, God, we're saved, not by works, but unto good works. But a person who constantly lives in sin, And listen, God has not called any of us to be the judges of who is living, the one constantly living in sin and who's not. Remember, all these things we're talking about, this is for us personally. A couple weeks ago, we talked about some of those things about how we should look at, how we should view anyone who says something contrary to the Word of God. It's not about us being judges and calling other people liars, but this is for us personally and our own hearts so we can have that assurance in our hearts of salvation. We, one thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we realize that a person who constantly lives in sin is not truly saved. Don't take these verses and look at your neighbor and say, yeah, they're not, they haven't got it. Don't do that. You look at yourself. Otherwise, you're going to get, you're going to get yourself in trouble if you start looking at other people. It says, He that committeth sin, verse 8, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, 
neither he that loveth not his brother. Listen, a Christian can still sin, but not without the chastening of God. We see here that when we get saved, we see the Bible says, for if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. When we get saved, we have a new nature. Okay, We've still got that old man that's in there that sins and that slips up every now and then, but we've got a new nature now that doesn't want to stay in that mess. My dad always gave the example, you can take a pig and you could give it a bath and you could scrub it up and you could spray perfume on it and put a pink bow on it. But you know what? You let that pig go and he's going to look for, he's going to try to get back in the mud. You know why? Because it's a pig. It's its nature. And you know, you take a sheep and you could throw it in the mud and you know what? It's going to want to get out of there. Because that's, they don't like that. That's not where they, that's not where they belong. I'm, you know, it's like have you ever thrown a cat in the water before? I'm, I'm, I haven't done that in a long time. No, but uh, you ever, they hate it. They want out. You ever try giving a cat a bath? I saw a video of a lady trying to give a cat a bath. It was hilarious. The cat's just going crazy, trying out. They don't like it. It's against it's against their nature. And a Christian. Living that life in sin, it's against their nature. Listen, you might fall in every now and then, but you're going to want to get out. I've fallen in the mud before. I want to get out. I want to go get cleaned up. I mean, you've been there before. I mean, maybe you have a hard day at work and you're out sweating and you're dirty and you just you just want to go take that shower because you want to you want to get rid of that you want to get rid of that stink. And you know what? And that's how it is for us. If you're saved today, when you sin, when you mess up, when you fall flat on your face, there's something inside that says, I've got to get out of this. i got to get out of this mess. I need to get cleaned up. Lord, please Lord, forgive me. I, Lord, please don't let me do that again. Dear God, please forgive me of that. Lord, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. Lord, I, I don't want to do these things. And Lord, please protect me from these sins. Because it, that's going to happen. We see that in the Bible. We have a new nature. But listen, when that happens, if we if we sin or we try to stand there too long, the chastening hand of God is going to come on us. Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. We talk, we were talking a little bit about punishment in the Sunday school hour. Listen, punishment. Despite what modernists are telling you today. It is not a negative thing. It is very positive. It is a very good thing. It's 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 a wonderful thing. I want to read a passage to you, and it just it's so right. Not just because it's the word of God, but just I mean, you ought to be able to look in. I can look in my own life and see where this is true. Hebrews twelve verse five says, "And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son." Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked him. Chastening is punishing. It's punishment. It says, despise not the chastening hand of the Lord. Now, that kind of sounds like a weird command. I mean, most of you as your parents, when you punished your children when they were younger or maybe not, you probably didn't say, now kids, will you please enjoy this right now? You know, my dad, when he would take me and he would go with me, he was like, listen, Tommy, I need you to enjoy the spanking right now. Alright? Right now, you need to thank God that I'm getting ready to whoop the fire out of you. Alright? He didn't do that because it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense to me at the time. I wouldn't have been thankful for it. However, now that I'm 31 years old, 
I now looking back, I should have been excited about it. I should have been thankful for it because you know what? It pr- protected me from a whole lot of trouble. That fear of the chastening of my father kept me out of a lot of trouble. I still got in some trouble, but it sure kept me out of a lot because I, I feared that. And, it, and now, I, looking back, I thank God for that because I was spared so much heartache because of the chastening. Verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. People get they get punished. Why doesn't God love me? He's punishing you because He loves you. My parents punished me because they loved me. They didn't want me to turn out bad. They wanted me to have a happy life. And they had to teach me some things. And you know what? I was a typical kid. I needed one of the things that I responded to better wasn't all this positive dialogue. <laughs> it was pain. I responded a whole lot better to pain. And it kept me out of a lot of trouble. If my parents they would have tried having positive dialogue with me, I I know that wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I mean, maybe for girls, but not for boys. I know I know it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked for me. And I thank I thank God for that. But go on and keep reading. It says, if ye, verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? He's dealing with us like we're His children. That's a good thing. My dad, you know, he, he spanked me all the time. But you know what? Other kids that would do the same things that I would get spanked for, he wouldn't do anything about to them. He wouldn't. It's like, man, if I would do those things, boy, he'd grab me, he'd take me out of the room, he'd, he'd take care of me. I remember uh, several instances when I was a kid, there were these twins I always got in trouble with. And I remember my dad had told us not to climb these trees and one day they talked me into it. It was their fault. My dad didn't understand that. We went and climbed the trees and we got caught. And you know what? My dad told those boys, he said, you two, go home. You, come inside. <laughs> And you know what? He chastened me. You know why? Because I was his son. They weren't. And to be a child of God is a wonderful thing. And every time we're chastened of God, it's a reminder that we belong to Him. In fact, the next verse, I know it sounds pretty harsh, but it says, but it's true, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers and our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now, so that we had that verse there in 5 where He says, you know, despise not the chastening. And it's like, does He not understand chastening is not fun? But at verse 11, he says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Nobody likes the chastening while it's happening. But grievous, so no, uh, no chastening seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It has fruit. 
some good things come out of it. Boy, I mean, my, my dad used to always talk about how it's like I used to seem like all I would do is spank my kids. And I would think, Lord, I know your word says to do, but is this ever going to work? And he's, you know, he said, when that day finally came, last week, when, you know, when, when it finally, you know, I didn't have to do that anymore. It was a wonder, you know, it was a wonderful thing. And it does. It brings good fruit. You know, I mean, we ought to know that there's something, you know, in the public schools now, they can't, they're not allowed to hardly punish kids. You know, back in the day, when my dad was a kid, they get spanked in school. And they behaved a whole lot better back then. Worst thing that usually happened, they, you know, running in the halls, shooting spit wads. Now, shooting bullets, doing horrible things. I mean, it's ridiculous. Because chastening's gone. The chastening, it is a wonderful thing. And a person who is saved, a Christian can still sin, but not without the chastening of God. It's going to happen. I see people who say they're saved, but yet it seems, and they constantly live in sin and are constantly just doing wickedness, and nothing seems to happen to them. Listen, I mean, one thing, you know, in my house, there were certain things that you, you just weren't going to get away with. That my sisters, they, you know, I'd find out they did something. Ooh. Wait till dad finds out. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And so did they. You know why? We had the same father. We knew how he dealt with those things. And the truth is, for, uh, as, a, as a Christian, as a child of God, that when I step out of line, God deals with me. And sometimes He deals with me in a harsh way. And when I see other people who are His children, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I, you see them step out of line, you know what's going to happen. And you see it happen and it's sad and you, and you hate that. And you're sad for them. I wasn't a very good brother. When my sisters were getting in trouble, I was usually loving it and enjoying it. But you know, as a Christian, yeah, I'm a little more mature, spiritually mature now. I don't like seeing other people when they, when they do. They step out of the will of God and God has to deal with them. But then there's others... You see them step out of line, and you see them doing things just completely contrary to what a saved person would do, and absolutely nothing happens. And according to the Word of God, truth is, they're not His children. He scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. And chastening is a good thing, it's a positive thing. Job chapter 5, verse 17 Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Proverbs 3.11 My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of His correction. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a father the son in whom He delighteth. In whom He delighteth. If a father delights in his children, according to the Word of God here, He's going he's to correct them. He's going to spank them. Dad, why are you doing this to me? I'm just delighting in Him, son. <laughs> And the truth is, you are. You love Him. You care about Him. You want to see Him turn out right. And so you do these things that are not pleasant. That are not fun. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. I love that verse. I hated it when I was a kid because my dad believed in it so strongly. (laughs) But it worked! It worked! Yeah, and... As a as an earthly father, they do that to their children, and God does that to His children. And that is, and it is a wonderful, and it is a comforting thing when you know that when you're when you're getting that chasing, and you know it comes from God, because that's reminded that He's 
but I'm one of His children. And just like my kids, after I, I, I've got a picture of my daughter Allie on my phone. It's a cute picture. She's, I, I'm getting on to her and she's just there and she's crying. Got this pitiful look on her face. Just, it's the most pitiful look you've ever seen. But then the next picture you see, she's hugging me. We're hugging. Making up. And you know what? That's what, how it is with God. After He chastens us, we can go back to Him and we can tell Him we're sorry and then He comforts us after He punishes us. And that's a, that's a wonderful place to be. And it's a wonderful thing because we are His children. And, that, and these, are, these are more things that can help you so you can know for sure that you may know. So let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.